Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now it's time for Inside the Clubhouse, a show dedicated to the Chicago baseball fan, featuring the best Chicago baseball conversation as well as the big MLB topics, along with the biggest names, greatest guests, and listener interaction. Starring Score Baseball Insider Bruce Levine and Matt Spiegel. It all starts right here, right now on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, Chicago's sports station. And a pleasant good morning and welcome in to Inside the Clubhouse. I'm David Schuster filling in for Matt Spiegel today. I'm in our downtown studio. It's a beautiful sunny day in Chicago. And Bruce Levine, of course, is out in Mesa, Arizona, where I'm sure it's also sunny and much warmer. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning, David. Yeah, it's a beautiful day here in the desert. I'm at Sloan Park uh, as the uh, Cubs will get ready to play again here. Only a few days left until opening day and... uh, it's uh, starting to look uh, a little murky on both sides of town. We'll get into that conversation, David. 12 days until opening day as the Cubs open up in Texas against the Rangers and the White Sox in Kansas City against the Royals. By the way, David, this uh, segment is sponsored by Max and Benny's in Northbrook, your home for the best food in Chicagoland. Here's the checklist. The best deli, yes. The best restaurant, yes, indeed. The best bakery on the North Shore, no doubt about it. Max and Benny's features dinners from 4 to 9 p.m., full meals of roast beef, chicken, and the freshest whole whitefish and salmon in the city. Bakery goods to die for include sugar cookies, mandel bread, home-baked bagels, bialis, rye bread at Max and Benny's. Private meeting rooms and business areas, 10 to 150 people. Ask for John at maxandbenny's.com for the private areas, as well as catering options. 30 minutes from downtown, 30 minutes from the Wisconsin border. Love you, some Max and Bennies in Northbrook. And David, uh, there are a lot of things going on with both the Cubs and White Sox. Where would you like to start? Well, I'd like to start by telling the folks that they can call into our show. Our number, as always, of course, is 312-644-6767. And, of course, you can always text us at 67011. This hour brought to you by Continental Auto Sports. Searching for the pre-owned exotic of your dreams? Search Continental Auto Sports for the continental difference. And inside the clubhouse, sponsored by Poogie Hyundai in Downers Grove. Buying a car from Poogie can be a beautiful thing. Bruce, we got a couple of great guests coming up very shortly. We're going to be hearing from Cubs bench coach Mark Loretta. A little bit later this hour, we'll also hear from White Sox catcher James McCann. Lots of rule changes in Major League Baseball. Bruce, we're going to get into that very heavily in the 10 o'clock hour. We'll hear from Theo Epstein, Kyle Schwarber, Rick Renteria. So we got some really good stuff coming up the rest of this thing. But I'll let you lead off because you've been out on the front lines for the Cubs and the White Sox. What's the latest that you've seen for both ball clubs? Well, injuries uh, continue to dominate uh, the talk here, as they do always in spring training with 12 days left, David. And uh, the Cubs are are dealing with some injuries to their bullpen, as we know. Uh, You know, you're you're dealing with Pedro Strope right now to go along with Brandon Morrow. Morrow is at least probably 35 days away 
from uh, going uh, into any type of situation where he's going to be able to help the bullpen. We, uh, this week, Strope uh, hurt his uh, hamstring. It's the opposite hamstring that he hurt last year against Washington that kept him out the last three weeks of the season. So he's uh, a little achy. Uh, they don't know if opening day is an option or not. That means uh, who will be the bullpen closer? Who will be the guy? Will it uh, be a combination of C-Sheck, uh, Edwards? You know, there are other options, Montgomery. But uh, Theo Epstein, in talking to us the other day, talked about the fact that they will be looking at the waiver wires. They will be looking at trade options. The one option that doesn't uh, appear to be out there is Craig Kimbrell and, you know, probably the top closer in the game still out there as a free agent after initially asking for six years and close to $100 million. Uh, right now, he's still sitting at home uh, wondering where he is going to end up, but it does not appear to be the Chicago Cubs. You know, Bruce, we're, we are going to talk with Mark Loretta in just a second. I want to switch gears and go to the other side of town real quickly because I thought it was pretty encouraging. I mean, there's a long ways to go for a lot of reasons, but Irvin Santana had a good outing yesterday on the other side of town for the White Sox. Does he fit into the equation, maybe into their rotation? Santana has been throwing a couple B games. So he missed almost the entire 2018 season with a finger injury. He threw in five games. White Sox signed him as a late free agent just a few weeks ago. He's building up innings, and he will be one of five guys that will be attempting to be the fifth starter. You know, Santana is only two years removed from winning 16 games and finishing in the top ten for Cy Young in the American League. So he is a very viable option for the number five spot. Will he be ready innings pitch-wise to throw uh, in the first or second week of the season? Uh, Manny Benulius and uh, Dylan Covey are the two other options for the fifth spot. You're talking Lopez, Giolito, Nova, and Rodon as your rotation of the top four right now. All right, Bruce, we're going to get to Mark Loretta in just a moment here, but let's take a quick phone call before that even happens. Let's take Ron from the south side. Hey, good morning, Ron. You're on Inside the Clubhouse with Bruce and David. Hey, good morning, David. Good morning, Bruce. Uh, real quick, guys. Uh, I was listening to uh, Richard Renteria. And he was talking about at some point you have to, you know, start winning baseball. And you can't be in a constant rebuild. But, guys, when I'm looking at this White Sox team, I don't even see it being slightly better. The outfield production was the worst in the league last year. You're not getting much better at second base in the field. Certainly when uh, Lord Jimenez comes, it'll be a little better. But uh, I don't know. Maybe it's the pitch. But lastly, if you, you talked about Santana and the other pitchers that they brought in, then they'll probably flip. So you're still in that constant rebuild. So right now, I'm just not uh, optimistic, guys. I just don't see where this team is going to be that much better, which is probably part of a rebuild. Thanks, guys. Ron. Have a good day. Thanks, Ron. Thanks, Ron. David, uh, you remember back to the Cubs rebuild in the third year. Ricky Renneria came in, uh, both uh, Rizzo and Castro, who was the, they were the two star players on the team that, that year. Uh, had bad years in 2013. Dale Swaim exits after two seasons as a manager. They bring in Renteria. Both, um, there was very little hope that the team was going to be better in their third year. Yet, in the last 50 games of the season, they finished over 500 under Renteria. Both, uh, both uh, Rizzo and Castro had uh, renaissance years. They, they were much better as they went on. And they were very happy with uh, Renteria before they were 
able to find that uh, they were going to be able to, to uh, sign Joe Madden. So from that perspective, I think White Sox fans are feeling the same pain Cub fans were in their third year going into their fourth. This, this time it's only three years for the White Sox. So there's still a lot of work to be done. I'm not talking about 80 wins or more for the White Sox team, but they'll go as far as their starting pitchers go this year, David. Yeah, that, I, That's how I look at yeah, it. Yeah, and I'm still encouraged by the White Sox rebuild or whatever uh, word you want to attach to it. You know, it's going to take time. It took time for the Cubs. It finally, you know, got over the hump. And, you know, obviously they won the whole thing in 2016. But in Dylan Cease, I'm excited. Uh, Michael Kopech, unfortunately, is not going to be here this year. But I'm still excited about his future progress. Eloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, all of these guys. I'm excited about the whole kit and caboodle, Bruce. Unfortunately, there's growing pains. And this is going to be another likely year of growing pains, but I think we're going to see, start seeing more of the kids. I think we will see Cease. I think we will see Jimenez, both of them during this upcoming season at some juncture. Jimenez probably fairly quickly. So I'm still excited about the White Sox. You know, uh, Jerry Reinsdorf said something interesting to me uh, over the winter, and he said, you know, we, we might have 30 top young players in our organization along the way. Ten of them are going to uh, fail. Ten of them are going to be mediocre. And we hope we have 10 really good ones before it's all said and done. The rest of the work has to be done by free agent signing, trades, and just the the natural progression of the the minor league players that they sign through the draft and that they develop. And that's still uh, on the board for the Chicago White Sox. They're they're gaining. They're starting to look better. I I can give you good reports about Mankata and Anderson here. Uh, looking extremely well. The catching situation uh, looks a lot better. We're going to talk to James McCann uh, right after uh, we talk to Mark Loretta of the Cubs in just a few minutes. Yeah, and also, you know, another uh, young player in the equation. Who knows? We might even see him at some juncture this season talking about the White Sox. Is their second base and first uh, round pick, Nick Madrigal? And I'm sure you've already seen some good things out of him as well. Madrigal is, is a guy they feel is going to come on fast. He was their first round pick last year. He was uh, in the College World Series with Oregon State. They feel he's going to be a number two hitter, David. Also a guy that's going to uh, be there to um, play the gritty type of second base that they expect. Um, they look at him like a, a, a Pedroia-type player. I know it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a reach to talk about a guy that was MVP and the leader of two championships for the Boston Red Sox, but nonetheless, uh, they have high hopes for him. All right. Uh, what what else have you seen that you know the normal person reading the newspapers? You know, obviously you're the eyeballs out there. I'm not really uh, familiar with some of the other young players for either the Cubs or White Sox that are on the cusp that maybe we're, we haven't heard. Of. What other players have sort of opened up your eyes? Well, uh, I've really uh, I really looked at uh, you know the progress of Mancada, uh, the progress of. Um, uh, you know, Basabi hasn't really been able to do much here, but uh, I, I think that you're going to see some of the outfielders improve. Leori Garcia, who was hurt most of last year, is probably going to get an awful lot of at-bats here. I wouldn't consider him a young player anymore, but he's certainly a guy uh, that can help them in the meantime while some of these younger guys develop. Jimenez, as you know, did not have a good spring training. He was 3 for 25 before he was sent down two days ago, but... That doesn't deter the idea that he's going to be up there with the White Sox sometime in mid to late April. So um, all of his workouts were great. 
his his hitting during the uh, spring games was not good. He was off a tick. Um, I would I would say that you know people are going to be interested in watching some of the young guys like Luis Robert and Mankato, who have both had sensational spring trainings. Robert has shown his skills not only with power but great speed. I don't think he's all that far away. I would say a year ago from now he's going to be fight, fighting for a uh, spot with the Chicago White Sox. All right, Bruce, let's go back to the phone lines and let's pick it up with Mike, who's checking in from a car phone, and I believe he's on the e yeah. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, about this outfield thing, I'm not as uh, as uh, depressed as the first caller was, and I'll tell you why. Everybody seems to forget that John Jay is a darn good player, 285 lifetime hitter, and he's going to improve in the outfield until the other guys are ready. He's a good player. And number two, nobody. Adam Engel's an outstanding defensive player, and he hit 265 after the All-Star break. If he hits 265 and plays the outfield like that, that's fine. But nobody, nobody, everybody, oh, Adam Engel can't hit. You know what? Two years ago, he was in the Arizona League. He won the MVP award. He's coming along. He hit 265 after the All-Star break. Pretty good for a guy that can play a Jim Landis type of center field. Well, he's, uh, David, he's right about that. He's He's one of the top defenders in the game in the outfield already. He made some uh, unbelievable question, catches last the year. Question, the question is, can he hit 260 or 270? Right. If he can do that, he can be their everyday center fielder for now. Um, the, the choices are minimal right now. You have Polka out there who's trying to be an outfielder, and it's really <laughs> a DH trying to be an outfielder. Uh, you're going to have Jimenez playing in left field when he comes up. Uh, Delmonico is an extra man at best. He's had some injuries down here, so that's really not a, a great option. So there, there's plenty of room for those young players to develop in the White Sox outfield. The question is, you know, who's going to be there right now? And Angle has hit better. You know, he's hitting 230, 240 here in spring training. He's hitting the ball a little bit harder than those numbers would indicate. The problem with him is he's not an OPS guy. He does not walk. Uh, so from the on-base percentage part of it, he's really got to hit somewhere 280 or so just to be a viable offensive threat for the White Sox. Hey, Bruce, I want to go back now to the Cubs. We keep going back and forth here. Um, I've seen, just like last season during the regular season, there's been a different leadoff hitter almost on you know on a daily basis. Is that the way it's going to be? I mean, is it going to be Zobris? Is it going to be Hayward? Is it going to be Elmora? You know, what's the M.O.? for the Cubs at the leadoff spot, and you know how I feel about the leadoff hitter. Well, Zobris is going to be there. Joe loves uh, Zobris one. He loves him at number five, backing up the big boys as well. But, you know, Zobris at age 38, David, I mean, how much is he going to play? I think he played in 120 games last year. Do they really have to watch it a little bit more? So there'll be other options. Uh, You know, you'll see Almora probably up there leading off sometimes against left-handers. You'll probably see uh, Hap up there at certain points, depending on his contact ratio, uh, leading off there sometimes against right-handers. Uh, the options are, are there for Joe. You know, it's, it's funny. They really haven't had a legitimate one guy to be the leadoff man since Fowler left. Mm-hmm. Yet uh, they were third in OPS last year from the leadoff spot in the National League. So, you know, moving guys around, the idea is that, Maybe not the quintessential leadoff type, but nonetheless, 
they found guys that are viable in that spot. A hundred percent, and you're absolutely right, and, and the numbers bear that out. They did have an Anthony Rizzo leading off for that stretch. Yeah, I mean, he was incredible, yeah, was too, to help out. But, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this until I'm blue in the face, I think you need to have a consistent leadoff hitter. Uh, you know, listen, I'm, uh, I, I played, you know, a minimal baseball in my growing up stages, but I know what a leadoff hitter does to a lineup, and you saw it with Fowler. You saw that, you know, if you have a consistent guy at the top of the order uh, who you can count on, and you know what the old saying was, is he go, we go, or whatever it was, and, and it worked, and, and they won with it. And, yes, they've had good numbers with other guys filling in here and there, but I'm a big believer, Bruce, and, and you know I've been harping on this forever and ever, that you have to have a consistent leadoff hitter, and I'm just wondering – is there anybody even in their farm system for a year or two or three down the road who they can look at as, as a leadoff hitter? I think the White Sox have some possibilities, you know, Basabe being one of those guys, you know, to have a consistent leadoff hitter going forward. They really don't. Uh, you, you cannot identify anybody in the Cub organization that's going to be a leadoff guy at this point. But uh, from the perspective of on-base percentage guys, those are the guys that are leadoff men these days, David. Yeah. There are a lot of home run hitters like Springer with the Astros that, that lead off now. You, have, you don't have Lorenzo Cain's everywhere in baseball. I mean, he's the ideal guy that hits the ball where it's pitched, steals bases, gets the, the team going. You know, Fowler is no longer Fowler. So though, those, those guys are oddities at this point. There's really not the... The, the one guy that you look at anymore and say, this is your leadoff guy. This is the guy that's going to get on 40% of the time. He's going to steal 40 bases. Those guys are few and far between, especially in this era of launch angle and lifting the ball out of the park, swing and miss. It's a kind of a lost art right now. All right, Bruce, let's take a quick break here right now. We have so much to talk about. Obviously, this past week, a lot of rule changes, some agreements between the owners and the players. Uh, as far as some of the rule changes, there's so many, and I know you have your thoughts on those, as do I. So we're going to talk about that. We're also going to hear from uh, Cubs bench coach Mark Loretta, White Sox catcher James McCann. I'm David Schuster in our downtown studios in Chicago. Bruce is out in, in Mesa, Arizona at Sloan Park. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Inside the Clubhouse. Little Led Zeppelin at almost 9.30 here on Inside the Clubhouse. I'm David Schuster in our downtown studios in Chicago. Bruce Levine out in Mesa, Arizona at Sloan Park. And the bottom of the hour brought to you by Chicagoland Papa John's. Chicagoland Papa John's offering free pizza this weekend. Buy one pizza at regular price and get a second pizza of equal or less value for free. Use promo code free pizza day on the Papa John's app or online at papajohns.com. That's promo code free pizza day. Still to come here on the show in the 10 o'clock hour, we'll be hearing from Cubs bench coach Mark Loretta and White Sox catcher James McCann. But right now, we are going to go back out to Aaron and bring in our Bruce Levine, of course. And Bruce, lots of rule changes in Major League Baseball. I'm going to just, uh, talk, break them down very quickly. Then we want to get your thoughts on them. And then we're going to get to the thoughts of Theo Epstein, who had a lot of thoughts on the different rule changes. Basically, uh, in a nutshell, uh, there's going to be shortened time in between innings, which is, I think, a good thing for everybody concerned. Uh, the mound visits are going to be shortened from six to five, at least this upcoming season, maybe four after the this season going into next. The trade deadline, this is an interesting one, Bruce. I'm going to be interested to hear what your thoughts are on the July 31st 
trade deadline. That's going to be it. The All-Star Game Election Day, the starters will be voted on, but it'll be in a one-day deal. The Home Run Derby, basically Major League Baseball is bribing the players with a million-dollar first prize to get the best hitters into that. The active rosters will go from 25 to 26, but only 28 in the month of September. That's interesting. And the designated, uh, uh, excuse me, the disabled list, rather, will go back to 15 days from 10. And then the big one, Bruce, the big one, relievers, not this season, but next. And I guess it's going to be uh, tried out in the minor leagues uh, this upcoming season. The, the relievers will have to face three batters. So in general, Bruce, what are your thoughts on all those different rule changes? Well, I like the uh, the, the pace of game thing where they're, they're going to actually cut out uh, some time in between breaks. And, you know, people are going to say, well, if you're savvy about advertising and the fact that advertising and those dollars drive those broadcasts, uh, it's been at uh, two, two minutes, 40 seconds for every half inning. It's going to be brought down to two. So how, how are you going to do that? How are teams going to do that without being uh, without cutting revenue coming in? And, and certainly fans like you and I and everybody else don't care about that, but the teams do. But what you've been watching over the last couple of years where you, you're actually watching game action and then you see on the side of your television an ad for a certain company – uh, that is going to be more prevalent. So you're going to see more in-game ads mm-hmm. uh, a- as it goes on. And, and that kills two birds with one stone. It allows live action. It allows advertising subliminally and visually at the same time. And that they'll be able to cut it back. I think they'll be able to cut it back even more significantly as they prove to advertisers that this is a more effective and, and really uh, one way of uh, paying more for your product, but also getting more people to respond to it because of the fact that it's a visual and it's a visual where the game's going on, where people can't turn away from it. So I think they'll they'll be able to continue to attack that area as well, David. The the biggest one, Bruce, of course, and this is one that was not agreed upon uh, by the players and the owners. It was basically the owners just saying this is what it's going to be, and and maybe it'll still be broached between the two sides. Is the relievers who will have to face three batters? That's the biggest one, and 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 this will change the strategy going forward. It's also very interesting. I want to get your thoughts on that one, of course. But the trade deadline, the July 31st strict trade deadline, how is that also going to affect the game going forward? Well, it's really going to hurt some teams that are in it and are out of it, David, because, you know, with the wild card added on, you know, so many years ago now, it kept teams and it kept cities involved in the playoff push deep into uh, August and into September. Uh, Now, if you're you're waiting to see if you're still a viable team when it's mid-August and you realize, okay, now I'm six games behind the second wild card. We're really not into it. So we're, we're going to trade off that veteran re- reliever or that veteran pitcher or that veteran leadoff man that's in the last year of the contract because we don't really have an opportunity to get to the playoffs now. We're not viable. That's out the window now. So the waiver trades – which can be significant between August and September 1st, August 1st, September 1st, are totally out. You have to make up your mind whether you're competitive or not by August 31st. And so two things. Teams are going to have to make quicker decisions on whether they're competitive or not. Number two, David, uh, more importantly, 
teams are going to have to be really serious about making trades earlier in the year. They're not going to be able to wait until uh, the end of uh, July to decide. A lot of these trades are going to have to be done in June and early July to make sure that teams feel like they've added the right pieces. And it, it's going to it's going to change some things around. But the approach from the general managers I've talked to since these uh, rules came out, they've all said that it's going to change the way they approach it. Uh, teams are going to have to be more aggressive early. Hey, Bruce, before we take a quick break here right now, let's let's go to the phone lines because I know John has some thoughts on the, the rule changes. John checking in from Glenview. Go ahead, John. You're on with Bruce and David. Bruce, David, good morning. Morning. The rule, the rule change of three people minimum for a relief pitcher, I think, is going to change the roster. Mm-hmm. If you take a look at it, a lot of teams have a left-handed specialist who comes in for one batter. That's no longer going to be as desirable as being able to change your batting order, change the people coming up once they put a pitcher in. So let's say they put a left-handed pitcher in. You're going to want to put right-handed pitch hitters in, and so I think they're going to have more hitters that can hit from both the left side and the right side. Maybe it's only one, maybe it's two, but the idea of having a specialist that only gets out one batter, that might be a right-handed batter or a left-handed specialist, is going to be less desirable, it's going to be less valuable. Your, your thoughts? Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a great comment, David. And he's absolutely right. Mm-hmm. The, the the old time, uh, you know, Mike Myers and uh, Tony Fossis, these left-handed <laughs> specialists who only come in for one tough left-handed hitter. Those things are going to be by the boards when you, if you're you're coming in and you have to get three face three batters. Now, there is a caveat to that. Um, if you come in and you you get a double play ground ball and it ends the inning. You do not have to face. Uh, you do not have to come out the next inning. So if you're a reliever that's brought in and the inning, you 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 uh, get the the inning out. You don't have to face three hitters. Okay, you know- that's that's how it's going to be manipulated. Um, but he's right about having to uh, have different roster people. In other words, teams will not necessarily look at left-handed or right-handed specialists for one hitter anymore actually more neutral guys who get lefties and righties out and are able to, to function more uh, for full innings. That, that's probably going to be the case. Uh, none, nonetheless, this is, still not, this is still not in stone as far as the way uh, this rule is going to change in 2020. Theo Epstein uh, told us that uh, some of these things could be tweaked before they go- are implemented Uh, next year. And speaking of Theo, let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, let's hear from Theo Epstein, um, his thoughts on a lot of the rule changes. We're also going to get to uh, Matt, who's been on hold. He's checking in from River North. We'll get to him. So Bruce, let's take a quick break. Bruce is out in Arizona. I'm here in our downtown studios. You're listening to Inside the Clubhouse. We'll be back right after this. 944, welcome back to Inside the Clubhouse. I'm David Schuster in our downtown Chicago studios. And Bruce Levine out in much warmer climb out in Mesa, Arizona at Sloan Park. We're going to get to Theo Epstein's thoughts on the Major League Baseball rule changes coming up in just a moment. But, Bruce, let's first go back out to the phone lines and pick it up with Matt, who's been holding very patiently. Matt checking in from River North. And I know, Bruce, he wants to talk about something that you wrote an article about on 670thescore.com this past week. All right, go ahead, Matt. You're on with Bruce and David. Hey, fellas. Hey, Bruce, I wanted to ask you, you know, I've listened to various people talking about re-upping Rizzo, and, you know, he's going to be 32, I believe. Mm -hmm. I would do it. I don't think a lot of people on your station don't understand the value of the lefty bat, and he's one of the best. And he's in great shape. 
Um, he's a gold glove, and I don't see that much of a decline from him as long as you don't. And I think he'd be pretty reasonable uh, because he just loves playing here, and he just—he's a guy who loves playing the game, and his leadership is unquestioned. Well, you know, <clears throat> thanks for thanks for the call, Matt. And and David, uh, what Matt brings up is something that's three years away, and uh, <clears throat> I wrote about that story this week with uh, quotes from Rizzo about wanting to be a career Cub. Uh, the fact is, you're going to have to project him past 32, and. Do you want to extend him now, knowing you have him under three years of control? His contract's going to end up being one of the great contracts team-wise in the history of uh, recent history of the game. Nine years, $70 million for uh, Anthony Rizzo, a, a perennial all-star and one of the top players in the game. Uh, the question is, do you give him a couple-year extension at this point because you know you had him at such a favorable rate even though we made it, uh, you know, millions of dollars here, um, do, you, do you give that good faith um, contract to him, knowing that you have to still pay Baez, you have to pay Bryant, you have to pay Contreras, you have to pay Hendricks? Um, is that money well spent going toward the future now? Hundred percent, Bruce. And you and I have bantered this one around for the last couple of years. I mean, what a contract! It was a good contract for him at the time, of course, because he got the guaranteed money then and, and the security going forward. Right. But, but you know, now he, you can say that he's, as far as Major League Baseball players go, he's underpaid for what he has accomplished. But then, you know, in three years, like you just alluded to, I mean, he's three years older. There's going to be some slippage at some juncture. And then you got all those other guys, and, you you know, even one more name to the equation is, is Kyle Schwarber if he's around. So right. there's there's some major decisions that the Cubs will have to make in regards to Anthony Rizzo. My guess is, and you brought it up just a couple of seconds ago, Bruce, maybe they give him an extension those last couple of years without signing him to a big contract for him waiting right. over the three years when, when it's finally uh, finished up. What would a big extension be at that point, knowing that he'll make – 14-5 and 14-5 in his last two years in 19 and in uh, 2000, 2020. I, 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 what I, would be I don't know, 20, apropos for a guy that arguably led you to your first World Series championship? Yeah. It's been the face of the organization. Uh, off the field is one of the, uh, the, the finest uh, contributors in sports to uh, you know cancer research with uh, his Anthony Rizzo Foundation. What would be proper? I don't know. That's a really good question, and it's one that, thankfully, I don't have to answer as right. far as the financial. You know, the bean counters will figure that one out. But, again, you got to take into uh, consideration all those other guys who are going to be part of your nucleus going forward, and I don't think they all will be here. Now, obviously, a lot depends on if, if. The Cubs win it all again, maybe this or the following season. You know, maybe that 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 factors in. But it's an interesting question. He got good money. At the time, uh, maybe in retrospect, he might regret that he signed that contract. I'm well, not really sure. You know, as he said, it made me an instant millionaire and took yeah. care of my family forever. Uh, signing, you know, the initial part of it was seven years and $41 million for a guy that hadn't finished a real good year yet in 2013. Um, this was, a, you know, it was a stretch for... The Cubs, uh, because they projected him to be a star, he had gotten off to a great start in 2013, but they didn't know he was Anthony Rizzo yet. They, In their mind, they thought he was, but the proof wasn't out there yet. 
So this has turned out to being a great contract for the Cubs. For him, you know, no one's going to cry. Everyone out there trying to uh, work nine to five and make ends meet, no one's going to feel bad about uh, nine years and $70 million for a player. Yet, uh, from market value point of view, he's left $150 million on the table. Yeah. Hey, Bruce, I know you and, and many of the other reporters a few days ago talked to Theo Epstein once these rule changes uh, came out. I'm going to let you uh, lead into some of the things that Theo Epstein said to the media just the other day. Yeah, you know, uh, we, we were talking to Theo, and this was Thursday, me and uh, you know three or four of the other reporters covering the team here about the fact that uh, these rule changes came out that morning. Theo came over and talked to us. And at first, uh, we, we asked him about uh, why, why these changes had to be made now. I don't think this is the end, but I think you know, it's, a, it's a good faith attempt by, by all the parties involved to try to improve the um, nature of the, of the play on the field and sort of nudge it in the direction of more action and um, better brand of baseball for the fans. So, you know, in general, I think by talking to Theo, uh, David, he, he liked uh, a lot of the things. I'm not, sh- I'm not sure he was crazy about the three-hitter minimum that uh, pitchers might have to deal with uh, two years from now. Um, not sure he's crazy about the 15-day, 15-day injured list up, up from 10. But in general, he likes it. We asked him about the three-hitter situation, though. That one's not set in stone. Um, you know, there's a, a, a lot, a lot of a lot of the elements in this are sort of put in place, and then there's going to be further discussions between MLB and the Players Association about um, uh, on, on the appropriate number. Of, there's sort of two ways to attack that one. One is through um, a three batter minimum. One is limiting the amount of pitchers on the roster. And that's the, another interesting ad that he had, uh, David, the, the fact that if you have something like this and you're also going to be adding, and we didn't talk about it, a 26-man to the roster and then 28 uh, at the end of the year, but 26 is going to be the new number going forward. Uh, if indeed uh, you know, you're going to need as many bullpen pitchers going forward in the future. Nonetheless, uh, you know, Theo talked about the fact that uh, – Changes are hard for fans and media to get their heads around because it is a game of tradition. This is a game that's probably passed, passed on from generation to generation. and We were all taught by our parents and grandparents and there's some connection to the game as we first came to understand it as kids. And that's hard to get away from. But I think you know, 99% of the game is, is the same and that connection is still there. Uh, your thoughts, David, on uh, some of these changes? Well, Bruce, you know, it's interesting because... Yeah, they're they're still talking about it. It's not etched in stone like you and Theo Epstein have said about the three batter minimum that relievers will have to face. But I think eventually it's going to happen one way or another. But it seems to go hand in hand with the expansion of the rosters from 25 to 26. So I think what, what the owners are trying to do here is pacify the players by saying, okay, well, maybe that one left-handed uh, you know, specialty guy is not going to be on the roster going forward. However, we are expanding the roster, and it's obviously going to be for an extra reliever in the bullpen. And so I think those two things go hand in hand. Right. What I really find interesting, Bruce, a couple of things, and again, I'm all for trying to speed up the game, which is what they're trying to do. But the fact that they're only going to have uh, the rosters mm-hmm. expand to 28 as opposed to 40, which I think is a good thing also, 
that is interesting in itself. It's not enough at the end of the year. Yeah, it's probably not enough, especially for you know some teams that are trying to rest some of their players before they go into the postseason, mm-hmm. especially the ones that are going to be there on an annual basis. That's really interesting. And again, the trading deadline one that is going to be cut to the July 31st, that's going to have a major, major factor on Major League Baseball going forward, in my estimation. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And, and the, the the only 28 guys at the end, uh, you know, people were able to expand to almost 40 if they wanted to. And teams that were out of the race, that were playing teams that were in, uh, you know, playoff contention, it became an unfair advantage because of the fact that they had all these young guys, so at the end of the game, they could go left, right, left, right, left, right, uh, with so many new players and so many new pitchers that um, it was it's not wasn't really the rules that you face the first five months of the year. Uh, all these teams had this advantage of having these extra pitchers to throw at you that you knew very little about. And it was altering the way games turned out because of the fact that you had too many players up there. And uh, I, I like the idea maybe of going to 30, but not, not 28, because you do want to be able to rest some of your players going toward the playoffs. If there's little injuries and things that, you know, because of attrition, uh, teams want to rest guys. They really don't have that opportunity now with only three extra guys. Yeah. You know, another thing that w- didn't really get that much publicity, but apparently it's happening behind the scenes, Bruce, is the fact that the owners and the players are already going to start having discussions long in advance of when the basic contract agreement is up between the two sides. And you got to take that as a fan, as a very positive going forward. That And there's going to be some butting of heads here. I don't think there's any question about it, but they seemingly are trying to do this so far in advance that they'll try and get over whatever hurdles there are between the two sides. Yeah, David, uh, it's it's going to be a tough one because I think that the owners are moving toward a hard cap, mm. and um, that's going to be very difficult for players to accept. So they, they need these uh, two and a half years to deal with this because a hard cap would mean a good thing in one way, meaning that there would be a minimum of what owners would have to spend on payroll. That's not there right now, and that's impacting players getting signed and, and teams – really spending what they should spend normally on players. The hard cap, unfortunately, at the top would mean that um, the players would have no recourse but to accept deals that weren't very good because uh, if teams could always say, hey, we're, we're locked in here, we can't go over the cap, what can we do about it? Uh, you either have to take a million dollars or we can't fit you in. So that would permanently alter the, the way that uh, individuals are able to find their way, especially the median-type player, David, the guys that are, are just a nut, nuts and bolts players. I don't think it would impact the superstars, but it would certainly uh, impact the, the, the middle-of-the-road-type player. All right, Bruce, let's take a quick break here. We have some people who want to talk about these Major League Baseball rule changes, including Joe from St. Charles. He's going to be first up if he can hang in there, Joe. I promise you'll be first up after the break. And also in the 10 o'clock hour, we're going to be hearing from Cubs bench coach Mark Loretta as well as White Sox catcher James McCann. You're listening to Inside the Clubhouse. He's Bruce out in Arizona. I'm David in our downtown studios in Chicago. We'll be back right after this. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. 
Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.